0: Welcome to how to deal when the shit gets real podcast. I'm Marietta
1: and I'm Connie. And today we are here with Vicki and I totally forgot to ask your last name. <laughs> <laughs> Ruble, like Russian Vicki Ruble. Yeah. So Vicky, not Russian at all though. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you deal when shit gets real. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. We do this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't even know where to start middle-aged white woman in suburban America. Took a lot to get here though. I work in the aviation field as an aircraft engine analyst, which isn't like my full title, but for simplicity's sake, I essentially analyze private aircraft engines, meaning like corporate, those fancy corporate jets from everything from that to uh, life flight helicopters that are flying around organs or transporting patients. So I have two degrees in aviation. Spent six years at Southern Illinois University where I met Rietta. So we have some history. To Just say, a little. <laughs> I've been working in aviation since I graduated school. Been all over the country. Was born in the Chicagoland area. Lived there until I was about 16. And then we can go into I left Indiana for a while. Went to, moved in with my grandparents, finished up high school, went to college, found a job in North Dakota, came back to Illinois, and I've been here ever since.
0: And she loved mm-hmm. North Dakota.
2: <laughs> I was an experience. I love <laughs> places where strippers make more than professionals. Seriously? <laughs> oh, I went in the middle of an oil boom. So there were just, tons of people like just transients from all over the country it was probably it was like literally living in the wild west in modern day wild west it was insane
0: interesting a a lot of good stories from up there you can say that you experienced it though right I experienced it
2: the most beautiful sunsets I've ever seen in my life that's for sure
0: well, there you go. There's a positive to look at. <laughs> at first, I was like, "Is she being sarcastic?" No, I don't think she
1: is. Like at first, that's, that was the no, no, with my no, brain. <laughs> it
2: really was a good experience for the most part. It was it was two and a half years of bitter cold and craziness, yeah. but um, I wouldn't have changed and it. Prostitutes, it, you know, it,
1: <laughs> strippers. Oh, sorry, so, strippers. You have to cut sand. that out. You can't call. Um, Prostitutes or sex workers.
0: Um, well, you you can be like Archer. No, they're call girls.
1: call,
2: call girls. Um, yeah. Anyhow, definitely uh, learned a lot up there. I just, really don't know what else to say. I wouldn't change it. That's for sure. But it was in the middle of like the oil or like the 2008 housing crisis. I graduated with my bachelor's degree and then couldn't find a job. Of course, like everybody and ended up just staying in school to get my master's in public administration. After that, I got a job in airport operations an airport and airport management. So I was like, snow plowing, firefighting, grass mowing, security, you name it. I did it at the airport and that was in North Dakota. So of course, nobody was hiring at the time. I remember my director of my aviation program was like, why the hell are you moving up there? <laughs> like, Where else is there to go? Why not? <laughs> so But then um, a job came up in Illinois and it was a promotion. So, and I was able to be closer to my grandma who raised me and I'm really glad I came back and took that job, even though that turned out to be quite the experience as well. And
0: not long after I moved back, my grandmother
2: passed away. So it was, it was a good decision.
0: What started your love of the aviation field?
2: This story is, well, my whole life is basically one story after another. When I was going to school, I had like no idea what I wanted to do after high school. I knew that I likely go into a military path, like the rest of my family, uh, and that didn't pan out. But uh, my my uncle, when um, I was applying for for schools, I wanted to go into community college, and he was like, "No, don't do that. Let's go to a four year university." And it's like, well, what, what the hell am I gonna major in? I don't know. And I just pretty much like. Knew that I wanted to do the Air Force thing, and I was just kind of like looking through the possibilities of majors, and kind of was like, oh, duh, airplanes. Ended up applying. SIU was the only school I applied for, and got into their aviation program. And the rest is history. So um, I didn't. The pan, it didn't pan out going into the military. Totally fine. Um, it wasn't ended up not being for me anyway. I'm very happy in the in the corporate world. Uh, i think they're pretty good here. So. I'm very spoiled with what I do.
0: It's kind of funny. I originally pl- applied to SIU for the aviation program and got accepted into the aviation program, and then didn't do it. So we swapped.
2: Yeah, right. It's it's a hard program. Uh, I started flying, and it just didn't turn out like that. Was what I wanted to. I didn't want to be stuck in a cockpit for a living. Those things are tiny. Like I get motion sick. <laughs> not yeah, that's everybody not who enjoys aviation is a pilot. So <laughs> I ended up going the airport management path. Um, I could, it was the little bit of having to know how to do everything, like a, a jack of all trades kind of job. So I really liked it. Still got to be with a community of people.
0: And now I'm not even
2: in airport management, but <laughs> I'm in aviation maintenance, totally different. Wow. You, yeah. s-
0: you still, there's still planes involved. So I mean, oh, you're yeah. not totally off track.
2: Definitely. There are, I manage about like 4,000 engines, something, something around there. So, yeah. Wow.
0: That's a lot Constance. of <laughs> it's
1: all over the globe. With your work in aviation, I am I'm assuming you can tell me if I'm wrong. Am I wrong that you're one of like a few women in the field, or is no issues? So how when is that I, in the aviation field? Is what I'm asking.
2: When I first started, not that many years ago, but long enough to have experienced you know a growth in in gender throughout the community there's not many there's certainly not many of us in my graduating class there was maybe me and one other female
1: the boys and
2: yeah it, it really is hands down and that's definitely reflected in a lot of the, the older uh, population uh, in the fields but as years go on more and more women are definitely entering even throughout the whole stem you know science type community, technology. So, especially now, like I went from airport management where it is definitely a male dominated field. I was the only air- female airport manager in the state of Illinois. I was one of the youngest airport managers at the age of 26. Um, it was complicated. And I guess it's a good point to tell you that I was fired. <laughs> it was. I mean, we're not gonna be around the bush. I was like a, a, a job in airport management. I'm not going to name where or any of that stuff. Um, It's really unimportant at this point. At that time in my life, it was such a, it's such a political job. And especially in a smaller community where it is so male dominant that it became like this tug of war between personalities. And it felt like that all they wanted was a face. And I was like, I'm not not just a pretty face. Like I'm here to do a job. I'm here to grow this airport. I'm, I'm here to help. And I'm, I'm here to be a part of this community. And part of that, unfortunately, is having to be the person that says no sometimes, because that's what the FAA says, or that, that's what, what just has to get done. Uh, you know, you're basically managing a little city within a community, you go know, fast forward, getting let go, which was probably the hardest experience anybody can go through is being let go from a job. I, it it had brought up so many issues that I've had with PTSD and anxiety. I had gone into an insanely deep depression, even though thankfully the the people that did let me go did provide help for displaced CEOs to be able to move move forward and um, find, find a new position. Which I was grateful for. the The depression probably lasted two or three years after being let go. My confidence went down the toilet. I mean, hundred percent. I had no confidence. I thought I was the worst employee. I thought I was the most miserable person. All I'd hear all the time was, "You're not bubbly and you don't smile enough and you're not girly enough." I'm like, oh god, like. I grew up in a male dominated society, not just in work, but at home, like you weren't allowed to be a girl at home. I wasn't allowed to to do wear makeup. I wasn't even allowed to shave my legs until I was 16. God forbid, I don't smile at the drop of a hat just to make somebody happy. It's just the expectations compared to a, a male in the same role was just astounding. I I to this day I can't understand why. It it, to me it it makes it makes no sense. Now I am so fortunate enough to find another job through a really good friend that I still work with. And even now, you know, five years later working for this company, he and I are now on the same team. So shout out to Tyler for just being one of the best friends I've ever had and, and helping me through that. But now I work in, in this, the most diverse, most welcoming community I have ever experienced. And I'm not sure if it has something to do with the environment being a you know, a global business downtown or a, versus, uh, you know, Kodunk country county outside of Chicago. But they are miles ahead of the game with diversity. I mean, we have people in our, company that are female and, and, you know, senior vice presidents of the company. So that, you know, it's really, I'm so grateful to be able to be a part of that now. Um, and seeing how much of a, a change, even though slow, how much of a change that we've seen within the aviation community over these last several years and a more welcoming environment for women. So, cause we can do it too, believe it or not.
0: <laughs> no, that's awesome. And, I've heard you talk about your boss many times and she sounds awesome so it's great that you have a even higher female person to look up to. No.
2: Oh my god, she's going to be listening to this. So,
0: yeah. Well, hi.
2: She's- Hello. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could go on for hours about how amazing my boss is, you know. I don't I don't know how many brownie points I'll be able to score off of that, but uh, <laughs> hopefully some. <laughs> she's been in the aviation community for a long time now. Uh, just, it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, my whole, um, actually my whole chain in our organization uh, is basically a bunch of females. So yeah, love it. We're, we're dominating over there. It's pretty great. Woman
0: power for real.
2: All right. I love it. It's has awesome. A long time to get there.
1: Slowly but surely.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and any strides you can make in that direction is still a, is still one, even if it's one step at a time. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: So since you touched base on your kind of crazy childhood there for a little bit, uh, why don't you take us into a deeper dive of what happened to you and how uh, you ended up with PTSD and why you weren't allowed to do any of those things and just all so the, the good the stuff. Real,
1: the
2: real reason why you
1: want me here, um... <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> we like to talk about all the trauma, and that's basically just a show. Okay, well, <laughs> welcome to my trauma.
2: <laughs> right, basically. Well, I forgot to give you the the
1: trigger warning of you know this
2: this is traumatic. I'm also not a doctor, so <laughs> all I can do <laughs> is give you my experience and hope for the best. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I I actually had uh, an appointment with my therapist today, and we were going through this and discussing like how how to really go about you know starting finding a starting point because. My childhood is it was unstable, abusive, disorganized. I grew up in a home with parents that have undiagnosed mental problems, mental disorders, whatever they may be, there's no way knowing there are individuals who who don't want help, don't think that they need help. And it's difficult because you know, there, there are people that just don't don't recognize it or, or don't want to recognize it. But um, as I was telling you earlier, I grew up, I grew up in a small town in Indiana um, until I was about 16. And uh, at, at that point, like I have an older brother and I had a younger sister who passed away between get two later. And then uh, a younger brother who's 10, 10 years older than I younger than I am, excuse me. Um, it was a pretty, you know, broken home. My parents are still married we don't speak. My older brother and I were not close at the time. He, you know, he had, he was going through the same struggles and he handled, coped with them a little bit differently than I did. But I was also, uh, we were pretty much forced to raise our siblings. I just, no reason why, like it really makes no sense and it probably will never make sense. It's one of those things where you, you just, you just can't, like there's, there's no sense to be made. So we, Stayed there till I was 16 and I went to several different schools. For some reason, my mom was pulling me out of one school and putting me into another. No real reason why, besides, you know, my brother was having problems. So let's drag Victoria through, through it too. So by the, the time I was in sophomore year of high school, I'd been to two high schools already. So there was really no stable friendships to be had at that point, uh, let alone any kind of stability in the house. I know it's like I said, it was abusive, physical, mental abuse that you know, we don't really need to go into some of the ugly details on that. Um, you know, it can be pretty, pretty harmful to talk about, but really at this point they're insignificant.
0: And that really says I mean, enough, you know. Yeah. But you know, to
2: to get to like the some of the the most interesting parts about it, to, you know, I guess I don't I don't really know how to else to explain it other than like trauma can be interesting, at least you know. Give somebody something to relate to, but you're—they we sold the house. Um, you know, my my dad, as far as I knew, had a good job. No idea where the money went, other than my mom was is today uh, an animal hoarder. Sold the house, bought a camper. Decided kids don't need to go to school. Now nah, that's fine. Education, you know, that was definitely not a value in the house. I remember being uh, in sixth grade, and I got the first c on my report card never had gotten anything less than an a till that point and i was just sitting on the stairs just like bawling my eyes out oh my god i gotta see in math. like what's happening like you know it basically you know looking back i'm like like it was a cry for mom and dad help me like i don't understand why i'm not doing well well behold, it's because they were not good parents but they're you know the first thing they said to me was fucking deal with it. Nobody cares. Not everybody does well in school, but Victoria does well in school. Okay. Like Victoria values school. And (laughs) so it was, you know, it was such a frustrating experience. Anyway, you'll fast forward a few years later where they sell the house and we're living in campgrounds across the country. No idea why. Could be tax evasion, could be batshit crazy parents. (laughs) I'm not really sure. Traveled from India through Missouri, Oklahoma, and of course my parents are fighting and abusive towards each other, let alone us, or so this entire trip. I remember sitting in the side of a road campground somewhere in the desert of Arizona or New Mexico, maybe. Most of this is all just so blurry because I you know, basically don't remember much from prior to being 16. It's just how you cope with trauma and my dad and my mother were fighting about something and he takes off, just leaves it's like, fine, you guys just stay here. Takes takes one of the trucks and just jets for God, like a day or so, who knows, you know, I'm pretty sure he was probably drinking normal things for, you know, our whole households. We've got, you know, we're carrying three horses, you know, six crates full of dogs, a cockatoo, several cats, some bunny rabbits hopping around the camper with us. You know, oh, <laughs> so that's I a lot for a camper. Living in, living in a fifth wheel camper trailer. <laughs> yeah. I got the couch. My brother slept on the the kitchen table, you know, that folds down.
0: Yeah. It folds um, down.
2: <laughs> yeah. The two siblings, the two younger siblings, of course, got the back room. God forbid you give the people that are, you know. My brother's six, six, four. So imagine him trying to sleep on. Oh um, my gosh. The table. So, <laughs> anyway, you know, no privacy. Privacy was not oh no. part of our life, you know, because that's not important to two teenagers whatsoever. Hmm. And uh, it just, it just worse and worse. And at some point, we're in the mountains in Flagstaff, Arizona. My mom looks at me like usual and says, "You fucking bitch! You'll never be good enough for me." Slams the door in my face. I have to take a shower in the the bucket that the horse drinks out of because they didn't want to let me in the camper. I go hiking up some random mountain for you know however long and come back down. And I find an empty campsite and sitting on a a, a picnic table and my older brother. Looks at me, he finds me, looks at me, he's like, you know, Dick, like the best thing for you to do is just leave. And that was like that moment, it was, you know, splash gold memories. Like that was the moment where I was like, yeah, you're right. Something needs to change. The next stop I'll bring you to is somewhere around Durango, Colorado. I've been like looking at the map forever. I can't even remember the name of the town with the border. Now, what I haven't told you yet to this point, I'm engaged to be married to my high school sweetheart that I've known since I was eight years old. He was three years older than me. My parents let him live in my house, you know, in the same room with a 16 year old. God, looking back down, what the hell are you thinking? I mean, could you imagine no. letting your child? No. Yeah, It's insane. Still one of the greatest people I've ever met in my life. You know, he grew up in a similar background as most of us did in that area. So he's graduating basic training. At this point, this is the summer of my sophomore year of high school, right? And so he's graduating basic training at the Marine Corps Training Depot in San Diego. My mom goes with me on this bus trip, this 24 hour Greyhound bus trip from somewhere God knows where in Colorado to San Diego. As you know, after basic training, they get leave. So at that point, my mother allows him to buy me a plane ticket from San Diego back to stay in Indiana with him for his leave. And the leave comes, nobody knows where my parents are. Now, I can say this was before the area of regular era of regular cell phones. <laughs> so my parents didn't want to pay for a cell phone. Last we heard, we were in, in Colorado. Nobody can find them. I am two or three weeks late for the school season to start fall semester. Uh, My grandparents picked me up from Indiana. They're livid because why is this 16 year old girl staying at some man's house with his parents? You know, they were not cool with the situation whatsoever. And it just got to the point where everything's so uncertain. So I go back there I'm gonna be miserable they're abusive as fuck this is obnoxious and my grandma finally says well why don't you stay here and so then came the process of her getting guardianship which it was just the such a heartbreaking experience because this is like my grandmother having to take responsibility for her 16 year old grandchild this is her daughter that nobody can find turns out they were somewhere in idaho because they faxed a letter to the lawyer whoever saying victoria's grandparents can have temporary guardianship of her which means nothing to the to the court but the the judge is like i don't know what else to do i'm granting guardianship because this girl's got to get to school she can't get to school without the guardianship papers.
0: Yeah. And the parents are nowhere to be found. So what else is he going to do?
2: Yeah. I mean, his hands are tied at that point. So my grandma takes guardianship of me. Um, I do spend the next few years in a stable, loving environment. That poor woman had to deal with a very emotional, distraught, you know, 16 year old girl going through some pretty big issues. I mean, it tore up my family and to this day there's, there's issues around it. And it's, it's such a mess and it's so heartbreaking.
0: Well, I mean, 16 you is already hard know, enough as it is without having to truth. add yeah. all that into there.
2: What the hell do you expect out of a sixteen-year-old girl, she's going to be an emotional wreck. You know, your hormones are all, like, all over the damn place. You know, now you're throwing this into the mix. You know, my, my family is not a group of people that are, are very emotionally open. Um, so that, that didn't really help. Um, so I guess we can fast forward to like school. We've already covered that part. But at that point was when... I really realized that there was something wrong. I remember my sophomore year of school, I had already like been through this period of time, not having friends. So I really didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand the impact that it had had on my body, on my my mental capability. I was failing my first semester of school uh, because of all of, all of the, the pressure of an unstable home and not understanding what was happening. Being responsible for two children that you now left behind and you feel guilty about, but you have to do what's best for yourself. I and mean, yeah, really there was no other option you know. anyhow. So I'm sitting with this group of friends in the dining hall at, at school. And at some point, somehow I convinced my father to, at this point we're still talking, I convinced my father to to buy me a laptop for school like thousand dollars something like that and he calls me and he just starts ringing me out just calling me terrible names i mean they'd always call me fat and a bitch and snobby and snotty just because you know i had different viewpoints of the world compared to them and he's sitting here just screaming at me telling me to repay him for the computer and that i'm just using him and I'm a fucking bitch for you know getting a computer I'm like I looked around the table and I'm like when well, I'm at dinner with my friends and this man is screaming on the phone with me like I'm the most irresponsible human on the planet even though like I'm putting myself through college like nobody else is paying for this I am and I'm like N- none of my friends their parents are not like this this something's yeah. wrong and yeah. it, you don't quite fully comprehend that you're in an abusive relationship until the moment you comprehend that you're in an abusive relationship. <laughs> so I like quietly like walk out and everybody's like, what's happening? Sit down. I call my uncle, who's you know, been there for me for a long time and I was like, Uncle well, Joe, I just realized that I'm a victim of child abuse. I, it just, I just remember just sitting outside and it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. I I just, it never occurred to me until that point. And he was like, yes, we have tried to get your mother out of a relationship with your father for a long time and couldn't do it because suffice it to say in a lot of situations, not every, it does take two. And in this case, there are definitely two very emotionally unstable people in a relationship. It's not just my father. It's not just my mother combined. It is just like this explosion of anger and emotion and irrational thought processes that just do not make sense. I think at that point, it was kind of like, something's got to (laughs) change, you know, like, this is, this is the cause of all of my dismay. And I have no foundation on how to build my life because I, I lived in this unstable, unhealthy environment for so long. And so what do I do now? I have no idea. So that's act one over. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It does speak volumes, though, that you were able to get your master's degree when school was so not, like you talked about, it was so not cared about that you were able to take it so far.
2: School was my safe place. I didn't have a safe place at home, but in the school that I I happened to go to, I had extremely loving and caring teachers that, and I don't know if they ever... Recognized things that had happened, or that there there was. I grew up in an unstable house. I think in that area, a lot of the teachers already understood that this culture here is not, you know, it's full of people that are either poor or in abusive relationships, like you know, in any any poor community would be, and it really impacts the livelihoods of the children. And so I was definitely fortunate enough to have a safe place within the school.
1: And think where, about it, at yeah. school, you know, you don't have parents yelling at you. Like a teacher's yeah. never really going to yell at you. You might get like detention for doing something yeah. wrong, but like you're not getting like yelled at or physically hurt. No teacher no. is really doing no. that. I mean, they, yeah. we, we definitely had some,
2: some characters in our school. And, I, you know, at that point, there were definitely like moments where, they would sternly talk to the children
0: <laughs> yeah it,
2: you know they needed that that stability and that somebody to, mm-hmm. to show them that maybe maybe the the experience that that they're having and in, in that moment and the emotions that that they're going through are maybe maybe not the healthiest way to react to a situation so now that you know these kids are going to school and, and they're having to like learn one way to react to, to the general public and then you go home and and you know your your parents you have to react to them completely different i mean it definitely has made me a, a completely empathetic person like i can sense emotions from people from a mile away just because it was so unpredictable at home that i had to be able to predict what was going to happen next and unfortunately you, you never could i mean yeah
0: you, school you, you also gave you never school also gave you that structure too, like you talked about, you didn't have Mm -hmm. structure and semblance at home and school is very structured. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. So I was able to really like take that with me throughout my, my college experience and and no, and what really kept me going was like, there's no way I'm going to take care of me. I, I'm going to have to be as independent Mm -hmm. as possible. You know, it's, it's interesting because it's, you see um, a lot of people touting their independence. It's, not always what it's cracked up to be because <laughs> it's, it's kind of a lonely world up here but goddamn, if it isn't necessary from time
0: to time
1: <laughs> so with the like abuse and stuff and you finally got to your grandparents house did you ever like act out or anything like that like when you got there because you're so confused and now you're finally like at a stable household and it's like and you're a teenager so you're like what's going on <laughs> And, and we'll,
2: we'll, we'll be stability there as a relative term. It was certainly yes. more stable than, than, prior, but I mean, that, you know, that they, they were not without their faults. Um, yeah. even those two years, I really think of it as, as not really, um, having anybody at that point because uh, quite mm-hmm. frankly, you know, my grandparents at the time were in their
1: eighties. They, they, they can't really help you. No. No, and, and they, they can't help you like a parent should and, be able to
2: help And you to them. no fault of their own, like, I'm a completely different generation. They wouldn't know what the hell to do with me. And I certainly pissed them off from time to time being out to, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. I mean, at that point, like, I had turned, let's see, I moved in with them when I was, like, 16. I had already turned 18 by the time I was in my senior year of high school. So my independence is already, like, zooming through the roof. And, like, I mean, I, I essentially still took care of myself. At, at that point, it was really just a roof over my head with, you know, certain structure that, you know, that didn't quite fit, fit my lifestyle, especially in terms of like what times you have to be in or out, you know, not having, they wouldn't allow me to get a license. I couldn't get a car. I wasn't really allowed to, to do a whole lot of stuff, you know, under their roof either. So it was like a free-for-all for me when I left. <laughs> I mean, <they're, laughs> without a doubt, I, I would not be here today without the help from them. But I still really reflect back on it and say, like, in, in reality, I did this for myself. I did this myself. I was still the one that had to get up mm-hmm. and go to school. It was still my choice to be there. You know, the, the the one rule I had to live by was going to church every day because for some reason they thought that they were going to get it through to me that I was going to believe in God, which never, still hasn't happened to this day. So <laughs> 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 it's something we can we can talk about if you like. Um, you know, religion was never really part of my healing process. So. It was, um,
0: well, everybody has different healing processes and
2: that's okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, like religion is such a good thing for, for people. And in my case, especially I, I lost my sister, you know, in 2012 to, to a car accident, which was as a result, the result of this tremendous butterfly effect of shitting, hitting the fan. And we can get into that more in detail. I mean, as far as, as how religion impacts all of that, you know, at that point, I like, Oh she's in heaven or you know it's it's the god always has a plan really because i don't think anybody's could have predicted this like some things shit just sometimes it just happens Mm -hmm. there there doesn't have to there doesn't have to be a rhyme or reason for it it just is that's literally
0: what our last guest just said because she lost her son at six And she pretty much Connie, right? She almost said something almost verbatim, like "shit just fucking happens and it sucks."
2: Yes, I
1: mean, hundred percent agree with that. There is even even crazy is that she still believed in God, just that He's not saying, "and this person shall die" or "this person lives." She just believed that that there's good and bad, like to to just.
2: To, to take some somebody's life, like for no reason. She was 19, you know, like the, she was going into the Navy and in two weeks she was visiting me in North Dakota. She had a plane ticket. It's senseless. And so, you know, I've definitely found other ways to, you know, find grounding I do a lot of yoga. I'm not the most spiritual person, but I meditate quite a bit, which is a big part of my therapy background.
0: And you've mentioned therapy twice now. And so obviously if it's not religion, therapy is a... Is a big influence on you. So, how has therapy helped you work through everything?
2: Lost a family. I've lost parents because uh, you know I've never had parents. I've lost siblings. I I basically lost two children. You know, I, I was being a mother at seven years old. So I'm you know going back to sitting there on the, at that bench, and I'm like, well, what do I do now? What 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 are the next steps? I have no clue. I like I said. It, you need a foundation in order to, to build yourself upon. And it was missing. I was just laying out of doing snow angels and like a, a mound of dirt, having no fucking clue what left and right was, you know? So, I mean, it was reflected in my schoolwork. It was reflected in my relationships with other people. And finally, like I, I went to my, our counseling center at the university and was like, I need help. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. And that was kind of like my, my starting journey uh, of being in therapy. I've been in on and off, you know, since, since then, so what, 15 years or so, it really helped me build that foundation. And, you know, I'm, I'm the one that had to, to figure that out myself. I mean, there's been so many, not on top of like them diagnosing with PTSD and anxiety, was I was having these massive anxiety attacks. I was having these nightmares I couldn't control. I had these emotional outbursts that came out of nowhere I had because I I had no emotional regulation. I had, nobody was there to teach me these things. I was like a a, a kid, you know, like I I was an adult, but like I had this brain of like a a child because the way you learn how to react and and maybe I don't even want to say a child, it's just different. You, you yeah. have to build a different set of rules when you're as a child in order to deal with and cope with this abusive relationship. And then you're thrown into this quote unquote normality. And you have no idea how to react to the people around you, the, the way you do react. I mean, I laughed at the most ridiculous things. I thought telling people jokes about my father beating the fuck out of me was funny. And in reality, people were like, what the hell? You know what, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would get angry at the dumbest things. I would just break down and cry. And I couldn't have hold of, like, a like a romantic relationship for fucking life of me. And uh, not that I can now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're <working. laughs> It's a work in progress. It's
2: a work in progress. No. <laughs> um, Everything is a
1: work in progress, right? <laughs> no. Um,
2: <laughs> So I went into this, this therapy called dialectic behavioral therapy, and it was intensive. It was, you know, there's this set of skills. It's based like very much into Buddhist backgrounds,
0: heavily into
2: meditative work, into, um, you know, acceptance, something called radical acceptance, meaning like things happen and we may not have control over that then also learning how to have conver just the simple things like learning how to have a conversation with somebody learning be- how to be able to like i feel this way because of this and your listening skills and everything else it, it set up like a classroom you know i i was in single therapy once a week and then in a group therapy session with other people once a week going like i mean basically a color book style classroom learning how to be in a you know a stable human being just re- rebuilding that foundation which we build our lives on so i went through that for about two years um and then after school i you know i stopped stopped going to therapies so up in north dakota and <laughs> where do i live um i you know that the resources just weren't available i mean you know we, i think we grew up but in, you would in a thing.
0: That in a town like North Dakota, where there's not much, and there's a lot of snow and cold that you would need that resource because people would get depressed. Well, here, here's the
2: thing. We grew up in an era where mental illness just wasn't understood. And I mean, we're still just at the beginning stages of really understanding how our environment and our genetics and everything else and how all of this impacts us, because not only do I cope with the PTSD and, and which causes the anxiety and everything else there, I have a family history of ADHD. I have extreme ADHD and have to be on medication on it for it. Um, so I went through this, this therapy and it really helped build my support. And then I moved to an area where there is, there is not as much, um, not as much, uh, available in terms of mental health. And then coming back, um, I got back into it after my grandmother passed away because I was having problems and, and I, I enjoyed my therapist, but it really wasn't what I needed at the time. And then um, shortly after losing my job, I actually became uh, you know part, part of the PTSD, or in this case, uh, like it's not quite an official diagnosis yet, but uh, complex PTSD. Uh, Which is like kind of reserved for people that are in long-term traumatic situations with little to no no hope of surviving. And let me tell you, there was little to no hope of surviving. (laughs) Um, I felt like there at any moment that I I was going to get killed, you know, by the hands of my parents. Um, And so when I, I lost my job, I became extremely depressed and I did have this, this suicidal ideation to the point where I did have a hospital stay. And it was crazy because I went to, I was changing doctors. I was, I had just gotten my job downtown Chicago and I had scheduled because of my ADHD medication, my regular doctor wouldn't prescribe it. He asked me to go to a psychiatrist, which was fine. And so I, I had scheduled this appointment for psychiatry and then like two days later, I'm sitting in a hospital bed being told that I can't leave because I went in with an anxiety attack and they asked me if I was having any suicidal thoughts. And I was honest, I said I had suicidal ideation. I was not suicidal per se, but they asked to keep me for, for a, a hold for, they wanted like a, a week, I was in the hospital for a week. And yeah, I mean, I, you don't, do they take your cell phone, everything, you have no contact with anybody. And I had to like, tell them like to get, to get out of there. I had to have like some sort of long-term therapy set up or, um, care or a psychiatry appointment. Like, I already have one and it, like our mental health care system here, it's, it's just, they, it's like, they, they try their best to assist people with these conditions, but it's just so cold and it is so unwelcoming and it's so scary. And you're stuck in this cold, awful hospital room. So unless you've got, you know, millions of dollars to spend on these fancy resort type mental health care facilities, you're stuck in a hospital room that smells like old people and nobody to relate to, you know, like it's, it's so strange and it's so unfamiliar. And it, I don't, you know, for me personally, it was not the environment that I needed to help cope with this for, I was fortunate that I have a good job insurance. I was able to have a psychiatry appointment. I've been going to the same psychiatrist for years now, um, on stabilizing medication for it anxiety has all but disappeared. And part of that is, you know, we check in every three months. And also I go to therapy with a cognitive behavioral therapist specializing in trauma. She actually got her start at uh, working at the VA close um, to Chicago and uh, worked for a long time with, with um, ex-military that had, that gone through PTSD. Um, so yeah i still still going strong with the therapy and like there's hope life life can change As you could definitely hold down that professional job and you know keep moving forward with it and, and really do things that can help build a foundation and you know those these these, these traumatic events are still going to be there but there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel you just have to find the right people, which can be really hard to do and really kind of stick with it, which is, sometimes seems impossible. I mean, it's taking 15 years. You know, I always told myself, like, I went through 16 years of abuse. I have at least 30 years to work to, you know. Fix it.
1: <laughs> fix it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so how did um, meditation help you? And like, what was your like meditation, like routine?
2: Okay, so that that's where you like ha- had always been a struggle for me because I do have ADHD. Like I'm jittery, like I can't turn this brain off. This brain <laughs> has <no hostage>. Yeah. <laughs> it is everywhere in a million places all at the same time. Um, there's no focus. I mean, squirrel. I'm chasing them. <laughs> <laughs> um so I mean, for the longest time I would use guided meditation practice, um, find a lot of those on YouTube or Spotify or wherever, you know, tend to, to,
1: Hey, now they even have it on Netflix. Do
2: they? Yeah. <laughs> they do. It's so
1: weird. It is. <laughs> cool. It's weird, but cool. Yeah. 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 I
2: mean, it really shows how far we've come in terms of, of self-care and, and our, our mental being. Um. But recently, within the last few weeks, I rediscovered yoga and have gone to several like meditation practices there that really involve like a creative type process and also like introducing like m- movement with your meditation. So I'm able to like really bring like the, the problems that I have with focus and, and uh, fidgety and all of that in with like being able to call call my my brain through meditative work so yeah
0: yeah there's actually a really great app called um cbti coach and it has a section that is um what do they call that oh my gosh no i'm not gonna be able to think of it (laughs) Um, it's like, it's like a guided meditation, but it's like visual. And it tells you like, you know, pretend yeah. you are here and do this. And like, that's really helpful because I get monkey brain too. That's what I call it. Monkey brain. <laughs> monkey um, brain. it really helps the monkey brain because then it forces you to focus on what it's telling you to focus. And then you're like meditating without knowing you're meditating kind of. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, CBT is just like a, an amazing, I don't want to say invention, but, uh, like, just an amazing practice that I think everybody can benefit from. And yeah, a, big, a huge part of that is your self care routine. A lot of that is meditation.
1: When did and you st- start the meditation? Oh, probably college. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, been a while.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's been a long while. And I don't care what they say about practice makes perfect. Um, I can still only meditate for like five minutes at a time.
0: <laughs> hey, you just five minutes. Short
2: yeah. 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 Any anything will help. I mean, like like I said, the yoga's really helped um being in that kind of environment. Really. Hey, they have goat yoga
1: in Lamont. Oh my
2: god. Yeah. Should go check do? it out.
1: Yeah. Can we go,
2: Connie? Yeah. Like are I mean like I hate to trade you with Rietta, but like closer, so <laughs>
1: I totally go. It's all good. If you want you want guys go and, and it's and it's bring your own wine too. Oh, so it's I'm BYOB in. and you get get goat yoga. My
0: mm-hmm. only request Mama. is that I get a picture of both of you with goats <laughs> on your back.
2: Oh, absolutely. And wine in my can I do yoga, hold a goat. And wine.
0: Um, like... <laughs> That's yoga all in of itself. If you can do all that at once, oh, it's exactly. called guided imagery. That's what it's called. Guided imagery is, it, is what's on CBT coach. There you go. See, look at we just had to keep talking about it and it came to me eventually. Oh. Anytime,
1: I just had to bring up the goat yoga because I know it's it's close to both of us. But I was
2: it's I seriously though, life changing. My body, I'm flexible little monster now. I can't
0: believe it. I know. I've been trying to do more. I think I'm going to do um,
1: My animal flow,
0: which um animal falls like the newer hipper version of yoga i guess it just it just just interests me more so i think i'm gonna go that route and
2: because you're an animal you know it (laughs) 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 this is what it is the whole time (laughs) (laughs) for those of you can't see they're scratching at the screen
0: like a bunch of of animals because that's we are all right i'm gonna I'm going to throw you two final questions and you can answer them in whatever order you desire. How how many,
2: how many military men I've actually
1: helped.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how do you deal and, or balance or whatever proper word you want to use your mental issues and still hold a professional job and be able to show up every day. And what's your advice on how to keep good, strong friendships go. Second one's tough. First one's easy. <laughs> so, um, it's supposed to be the other
2: way around. You know, part part of this CBD practice is learning how to communicate, and hands down, the the best decision that I've made was learning how to communicate with my boss. And I know that it's not possible for everybody. Not everybody has an amazing manager the way I do. But I, you know, being able to build that trust between each other, that I can be open with her. Because God knows this comes in waves. I could be good one minute, the next minute, just crashing down like the whole world is is on my shoulders. And I am so open with her about what's happening. She understands that I have PTSD. She understands that I have ADHD. And we are constantly... Communicating each other with each other and checking in and making sure everything is okay. I work in a very, very high stress, high demand job. It is nonstop and mm-hmm. it, it can be exhausting. And so we've developed over the last three years or so that we've worked together just this amazing ability to be able to to communicate and let each other know or let her know like w- what is happening. And it, I, I really, strongly recommend that because mental illness is so stigmatized for no reason. There should be no reason for me not to be able or anybody else to say, yes, I have PTSD. Yes. Grown up in a traumatic environment, just as easy as it should be that somebody to say, yes, I have a heart condition. And so I can't lift 50 pounds. My brain can't always lift that 50 pounds. And I have to be able to communicate that with her And she is just absolutely so amazing and so forgiving. And I couldn't ask for a better environment for it. I know not everybody has that, but I really think that it's important to be able to try to get to that point where you're able to communicate. You don't have to explain what happened or why it's happening. Just that, yes, today is not a good day. And we have to be able to cope with that. I love it. As far as, what was your second question? Something about me, friends. (laughs) (laughs) How to keep... Good, strong friendships. I always have struggled with it. But I would say acceptance that we all struggle. Communicating when we fuck up. And being understanding everybody's going to have a bad day. Don't feel ashamed. It's not, it's not because of me that Rietta's having a bad day. You know? But also like leave that door open if they need anything. And, and also knowing when to shut it when it's too much and to set boundaries. Because Rietta can't handle my shit every day. And I can't handle her <laughs> every day.
0: <laughs> now there's definitely been points where we both have been like, I love you but I can't today.
1: Get out my call
0: me tomorrow but i can't today
1: now this is how to deal with shit It's real uh you know come and listen to our episodes every friday and check us out on all the social medias vicky thank you for joining us we'll go thank do some yoga me. too yes please. and that's all folks